0: What is idolatry? Is it alive yet today? And do we see it in the world around us? On today's episode, we look a little bit at idolatry and the three main idols that were prevalent in the Old Testament and during the time of the writing of the minor prophets. Today, we investigate what they mean and what they teach and how do they apply to our lives on a few moments. In the Word. As we read through the story of Hosea, there's a recurring theme that you might pick up on. As you move past the first few chapters, God begins to speak about Ephraim. And it says, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. Israel could never get past their idolatry. That was the reason why God sold them into slavery is because they could not give up their idolatry. Now, God told them when they went into the land of Canaan, I want you to get rid of all the idols. I want you to get rid of all the people. Don't leave any of them there. Don't marry their children. Don't even keep their artifacts. I want everything destroyed. Of course, Israel didn't do this. In the book of Judges, if you read chapters one and two, you will discover that an angel came and visited them and just flat told them, you haven't obeyed God. You haven't done the things that God has asked you to do. And it all went back to idolatry. Now, in our current culture, we don't really think much of idolatry. We kind of scoff at the idea because Very few people today have an idol sitting on a shelf in their home that they go and bow down to and do obeisance and worship. It's almost humorous to them to think of idolatry nowadays, but the facts are, if you study idolatry, you're going to find it's still very much alive. It's alive in a lot of people's lives. They just don't realize it. Israel had three basic idols And really, this is the history of humanity. Three idols that they served. The first, one of the most common mentioned in Scripture, was the idol Baal. Now, when we read the word Baal in Scripture, a lot of times people read that and think that it was a figurine or something that they worship. But I want to explain what Baal was, and then I want to put it in the context of where we are today. Baal was more than just one person. The word Baal means owner. In fact, in the book of Hosea, you might notice that there was a point when God spoke and said, Thou shalt call me no more Baalai, but Ishai. The difference is pretty simple Baal means owner or lord or master, Ishai means my lover. Baal simply meant the owner of a region, a community, a house, a room, and here's what many of them believed. Ancient idolatry and the belief in Baal stem from this idea that when someone died, their disembodied spirits never left the area. They simply hovered in a certain location and what would happen was they spent the rest of their lives trying to appease the disembodied spirits. It was so strong that there were times that people would bring their children and they would offer their children to the idols and say, fill our children, come and live inside of our children so that you won't be angry with us. All their life was spent trying to appease the owner of this area. Now, God forbidding the worship of Baal was simply this. God said, I am the Lord that bought you. I'm the one who owns you. You're mine. You don't appease the evil spirits. Just because something bad happens in your neighborhood or your community or in your world, you really just need to ask yourself the question, have we been obeying God or have we turned to another lord or owner? And generally, all idolatry did that. It turned from the recognition that God was God and began to serve other gods. By the way, you'll find the word Balaam, I-M on the end, meant a plural form, and so it might have been multiple gods. There's another thing that you'll find, and that is, for instance, Baal Peor. That meant the owner of that region of Peor. I find this a lot when I travel to India. There's a lot of uh, consideration that whatever the spirits are in this area, and it even goes so far that when someone dies, they believe that their spirit inhabits that region or goes into a cow or a rat. And so they simply will not eat the cow or touch the mouse or whatever because that could be grandma. It's simply the, the concept from old Baal worship that Baal was the owner. When it comes right down to it, the question today is, who's my owner? Who is my Lord? Who do I recognize as owning me, as owning my home, as owning everything I touch? You see, idolatry simply places possibly even self above God and just says, I'm the owner of this, this is mine, I can do with it what I want. In the book of 2 Timothy 3, Paul said that in the last days, men shall be lovers of their own selves. And so today's idolatry is centered around self-love. Self-esteem, the ideology that I own me, I own what I have, I really don't own God, owe God anything. And really the concept of worship is I want God to serve me. I want to become a servant of God, but really my hope is, is that he will serve me. And if God doesn't do what I want him to do, then what good is it to serve him? Israel's years of idolatry revolved around this. They would have revival. They would turn back to the Lord. The Lord would bless them. But if things began to decline or things weren't going positive all the time, then they would simply turn back to idolatry thinking they had missed it. In the book of Jeremiah, there was even an episode in there where people actually said, well, since we began to bake cakes to the queen of heaven, we've had all things good. We've had nothing bad. When we served the Lord, we had things bad. And so what it does is it bases my life on circumstances. If this is working out good for me and I'm succeeding at this, well, that means I'm doing the right thing. In fact, it can even go so far That if a person violates God's word, but things are working out positively, then you know what? I'm okay, because the result is good. It's the old statement, the end justifies the means. It's happening today in churches. Churches think, well, our numbers are better than they've ever been. We're increasing and our finances are up. Therefore, that must mean that we're doing everything right. And of course, when things go bad or if the church has a reversal, that means I must be doing something wrong. But never forget, Christ said, marvel not if the world hate you. Marvel not if they turn against you. He said we would count it all joy when we fall into divers temptations. There are times in life when things are in reverse, things aren't going the way that we wish. But if we recognize Christ as our Lord and as our owner, as our lover, we're no longer living by that which is positive. We're no longer living by that which is so much bringing us a positive return. Let come what may, we're going to serve God. When the early disciples, the New Testament church, went and visited the churches they encourage them by saying, we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of heaven. So that makes clear that just because you're on an upswing or just because you're doing well, that's no signal necessarily that you're right. And just because things are bad doesn't mean that you've rejected the Lord. You see, our real test is, when I open the word of God, am I walking in obedience to his word? He is my owner, but it should go beyond ownership. God wants our relationship with him to be one of Ishai, my lover. I'm serving him because of who he is, not because of what he does. There were multitudes who followed Jesus for the loaves and fishes. When those quit, they quit. Jesus even turned to them and said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And from that moment forth, many ceased following him. Really, Baal worship is alive and well today. And the real measurement of where you and I are spiritually is who do we recognize as our owner? Does God have the right to set the rules? Can he tell me, I don't want you to violate the Sabbath day. I want you to give me one day. And I was visiting with a dear brother recently who said, you know, I can't explain it all, but I just think it would please God the most. I'm not doing it because I think I'll go to hell if I won't, but if it will please God the most for me to give him a day, I'm going to do it, whether I can understand it or explain it all. The same thing is is true of the tithe. People say, well, nowhere in the scripture does it say that we are to tithe. That's an Old Testament concept. Well, I don't believe that God has to come down with a baseball bat and clunk me on the head and tell me, you better tithe and give me a great revelation. Hey, everything I have is God's, all 100%. What a fool would I be to withhold any of it from Him. I therefore give him what he asks and I do above the 10%. So that was the worship of Baal and it was a problem in the land of Israel. The second was the worship of Moloch. Moloch was an interesting uh, God in that Moloch was the guarantor of all things good. Because of the worship of Moloch, It was the phrase in the scripture, they caused their children to pass through the fire. And here's what happened. There were various versions of the worship of Molech, but the most popular was a bronze statue that was built down in the valley of Hinnom. And down there, this bronze statue had an open spot in its back and its arms were outstretched. They would build a fire on the inside of Moloch and heat it up really hot till the heat reached all the way out to its hands. A man and his wife would come down with their baby. They would come to the priest and the priest would ask them, what is it that you desire? The young man might say, well, there's a position open at my company And it's my desire to gain that position, or I would like to become a manager, or I want to have the most successful business in my community. And so he would bring his baby, and here's what they would do. They would place the baby in the outstretched hands of Moloch. If the baby slid down the arms and fell into the fire, that meant that Moloch heard their prayer and that their plea would be granted. If the baby slid down the arms and went out the other side, that meant that their prayer was rejected. In essence, it was child sacrifice in order to gain societal good. It was hopeful that in doing this, they would get what they desired. Isn't that a lot like our world today? Children are being sacrificed to the God of Moloch for success, and for money. Children are placed in front of televisions and babysat by Hollywood and its values and wickedness. But what does it matter? We're gaining, we're getting ahead. And there are men today who are sacrificing their family in order to get ahead financially. The home is being sacrificed. In fact, homes that years ago Used to have family altar. Well, now we're too busy to do this. We're too busy to pray with our children. We're too busy to read the Bible together. And so we're sacrificing our family to the God of Moloch. Incidentally, in that worship of Moloch, when the children were placed in that idol and went into the fire, the drums were beat loudly so to drown out the screams of the baby. I think that in America today, and even in the church world, our families are being sacrificed in order to get ahead, in order to take the next step in the ladder, in order to rise to the next level. Mothers are leaving their homes and sacrificing their children to daycare and forgetting the law of the Lord. The scripture said, let the young mothers be keepers at home. But you know, Moloch is far more appealing because then I can fulfill my dreams. But I want to tell you something. God will never tell you to violate his word. I don't care how much you want it. And I don't care how great your dreams are. It is wrong to violate God's word. The third worship and the third idol was simply this. It was the worship of Ashtaroth. Now, it was named by other names in scripture, most famously Diana of the Ephesians. Diana, Ashtaroth, or any other name that she was given was simply the God of erotic love. It was the God of physical, sexual pleasure, anything physical, any pleasure that the physical body desired, which incidentally was a problem in the Corinthian church because Corinth, the people, the culture taught that whatever you did with your body didn't matter. Your spirit would go to heaven and what you did in the body really didn't affect your spirit. Your soul would be saved even if the body perished, and it did. It's much like the teachings today that what I do in my body doesn't matter. If I lie or cheat or steal or commit adultery, hey, I knelt and prayed a prayer, and I've been forgiven. And guess what? Now I can use this body to please me, and if it feels good, do it. Tragically, the worship of Ashtaroth was simply the love of pleasure, that which gratified my flesh. You know, the scripture brings out three, the world, the flesh, and the devil. When a person says, I don't see anything wrong with it, I feel good about it, it lifts my self-esteem, they are worshiping Ashtaroth because they're living to please themselves. That wasn't Paul's life. Paul said, I keep my body under. I'm not living for me. In fact, Paul went so far as to teach that that the belly, the desire for food was even subjected to the will of God. He said, if meat make my brother to offend, I'll not eat meat that's pretty sacrificial, the God of pleasure. And it encouraged a society in which all they lived for was more and more sinful pleasure. I can't imagine a more clear picture of our society today. America has gone pleasure mad. We worship at the altar of amusement parks. And of course, many today switch partners from day to day, year to year, giving no commitment to one another. Their families. What is family? I have heard often the statement, it's the same as if we're married. Well, if it's the same, then get married. When our society reaches that place, then all we're living for is pleasure, that which feels good to the flesh that which I enjoy with my body. You know what? I'll take care of the spiritual on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, I'm going to live for me. Unfortunately, in far too many places, even Sunday now has become please me day. That's the reason why they meet on Saturday night and have church, so you can have all day Sunday for your pleasure. Rather, than to worship god these three gods were the gods of the old testament but they're still alive today people are immersed in idolatry now understand idolatry is more than a figurine the scripture says that stubbornness is as idolatry and in another lesson we're going to go into the spirit of idolatry Which is revealed throughout scripture, and we're going to see that at the end of the day, the worship of self, the love of self, is really what drives people. And America has become a self love society. It's all about me. To the point that even church now is subjected to seeker friendly. We're here to please the crowd. Whatever makes them happy. Whatever keeps them coming. And hey, the numbers are better than they've ever been. We just as well listen to these great teachers like Rick Warren and we could go through the list of those propagating a false concept of what church ought to be. Take away all the offensiveness and let's make church fun again. Because after all, that's what church should be designed for. Pleasing man throughout history god made it very clear his prophets were to preach what pleased him not men they were to declare the sin they were to declare the sin of the people and it came at great sacrifice i'm afraid it's needed again we need a generation of prophets that will rise up and call sin sin Deal with it where it is and spare no idol in men and women's lives. We need a great revival. We need a great turning back to the principles of God's holy word.